We'll be reading out of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 11. The entirety of the chapter will be before us. Um, We're not going to cover the entire chapter, I don't think, this morning, but uh, we're going to read through it. It's a short, I'm about reading next week a little bit. Jeremiah, chapter 11. Now I'll be reading, as is my custom, out of the New King James Version. God's Word declares, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear the words of this covenant, and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice. And do according to all that I command you, so shall you be my people, and I will be your God. That I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. And I answered and said, So be it, Lord. Then the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and the cities of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. But everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. And the Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, who refused to hear my words, and they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will surely bring calamity on them, which they will not be able to escape. And though they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they offer incense, but they will not save them at all in the time of their trouble. For according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah. According to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. So do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time of their trouble. Cry, they, they cry out to me because of their trouble. What has my beloved to do in my house, having done lewd deeds with many? And the holy flesh is passed from you. When you do evil, then you rejoice. The Lord called your name green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. But the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire on it, and his branches are broken. For the Lord of hosts, who planted you, has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. Now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me their doings. But I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter, and I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit and let us cut off Him from the land of the living, that his name may be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have revealed my cause. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, 
who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons and their daughters shall die by famine, and there shall be no remnant of them. For I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anathoth, even the year of their punishment. Well, this morning we conclude a section of Jeremiah. And uh, the section really answers a question. And the question is, how do you go from being the people of God, of the one true and living God who has exercised his power on your behalf, how do you go from being followers of him who has spoken to you, who has moved in your midst, who has done marvelous things among your forefathers, how do you go from that point to the point where you are in your homes worshiping the Queen of Heaven and sacrificing your children to such? How do we move from one to the other? And we have seen two of the major elements We're going to see a third and the final one really presented here in Jeremiah. The first is that you begin to stop your ears from hearing the truth. You start to keep truth from being in your midst, in the public sector or privately. You begin to define truth by yourself instead of by the one true and living God and his word as truth. And you fail to instruct your children in that truth because you have rejected it yourself. That's one of the primary steps of moving away from being the people of the one true and living God to a place where you're deserving really only of judgment. The second facet that we saw, the second evidence, if you will, or primary causes of that movement is that you have given (laughs) credence to that which deserves none. Because you have called rocks and sticks and jewels and gold precious and even attributed to them the very qualities of the one that you are turning away from and you have gone after rocks and stones instead of the one true and living God. You have made idols in your heart. You have set up other things as being more precious than serving the God who has done so much for you. And again, we saw the effect upon this, upon particularly the children, as they have been raised in ignorance of the one true and living God. And while we might take them to the temple every so often to do their act in front of the one true and living God, what they see in the home day after day and what they are participating in with you is to follow after your idols. And they know the priority. They know what's most important by what goes on in your homes. And they recognize, I'm out here collecting firewood so that we can go home and offer sacrifice to the Queen of Heaven while when it comes to worshiping the one true and living God, sometimes I'm drug along, maybe. And so they are very adept at recognizing who your idols are or what your idols are. 
And we leave them in ignorance of the truth. And now we have generational problems because we have disconnected ourselves from the one true and living God and gone after the foolishness of the Gentiles of this world. And we have convinced ourselves that we can be the measure. And the Bible says that while you might think you're walking, the fact is you don't know where to walk. It's not in you. You cannot be the measure. You cannot be that which discerns and and determines what truth is and what righteousness is and what God is. It's for God to direct us. And so we need correction, but we find ourselves not interested in it. The third cord of this very strong rope that binds us into error we have before us this morning. Before we look at it, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask for his help this morning. Lord God, we do thank you for your word before us, your spirit within us, and your people around us. And we pray now that you might work by each of these in our lives this hour. That we might hear your word, that we might understand it, that we might submit to it and obey it. And Lord, we pray you might guard our environment here from distraction, might guard our minds from wandering, might guard our hearts from rebellion. That we might receive your word and by receiving it, guard our very souls from destruction. We pray, he says, in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, the third element of Israel's backsliding, of their migration, if you will, from the relationship that they should and intended and uh, had opportunity to enjoy with the one true and living God into the despair of following after false gods and being ignorant to some degree of the truth, the third element that moved them from one to the other is the breaking of their covenant relationship with God. They may have believed that they were sustaining it by fulfilling the responsibilities at the temple, but they were doing that really only nominally. That is a name only. They were just doing it out of rote activity and not anything generated out of a true heart nor out of a personal uh, understanding of who God is or they would do it very differently. Rather, they thought that they could trick God into blessing them by giving certain sacrifices and doing certain things and, and maintaining certain elements of worship and certain holidays, if we did all of that, certainly God has to bless us because we're fulfilling the letter. Granted, it was the minimum requirements, but, I mean, come on, God, that we are meeting your minimum requirements. Certainly that's got to count for something. And never mind what you're doing during the week or during the times when there are not holidays, 
So they thought that they could trick God into thinking that they were keeping their end of a treaty, of a covenant relationship. But God is no fool. And so God comes with the word of the Lord and he speaks both to um, the, the Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He speaks to Israel and uh, he's going to speak really to both of them. And he said, you're under a curse. Why are you under a curse? Because you, uh, not only because you've abandoned the truth, not only because you've gone after idols, but because you've broken our covenant. You have broken our agreement. You have broken our treaty that I had made with your forefathers that extended to all their generations. You have broken the covenant. And if we go back in and we study the covenant, we find that there are provisions within this treaty, this agreement, um, that whoever breaks it would have certain ramifications. And of course, God isn't going to break the treaty because he's faithful. He's true. And so the expectation was that if you break this treaty, here are the curses that will come. If you keep the treaty, here are the blessings that will come. And Jeremiah is called by God to be reminded of those and to communicate that to the people. I've kept my part. I have blessed you. I've brought you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and we know from the prophets that were more specifically sent to the northern tribes that they were enjoying great prosperity. Do you remember the prophet saying, well, you're living in paneled homes, you have vacation houses, you have all this abundance. I kept my side. And what did you do? Did you remain faithful to me? No, you went after the ways of the Gentiles. You went after the, the nations that didn't know me. You went after idols you have left off from following me as the one and only. You've sought to add others and just want me to take a place on your shelf of gods. And the one true living God will not, will not permit that. And so he calls them and says, you are cursed in verse 3 because you did not obey the words of the covenant. We have this relationship We have made promises one to another and those promises are holding God, keeps those vows, he keeps those promises and he anticipates and expects that you will follow through on them, that you will fulfill those. Not just in your day, but for generations, Israel. My promise was to your fathers as well as to you and every generation in between that if you keep my word, I will bless you and if you disobey me, you are cursed. And now it is time for that curse to be brought to bear upon you. And so remind the people of the covenant. Remind Israel, remind Judah, remind the inhabitants of Jerusalem of the covenant that they are in violation of. So this morning, I would like to take a little time to remind you of the covenant that you have. See, it's easy for us to see this as a historical study and to say, oh, those bad people broke their covenant with God. If we had a covenant with God like that, we certainly wouldn't do that. Well, guess what? You have a covenant better than theirs. And it's not better just because there are no blessings and cursings and it's all blessing. It's better because 
of all the things you've been studying in Sunday school for the adults because of the improvement, the betterness of the foundation of your covenant, which is not the law, it is not the blood of bulls and goats, but it is the fulfillment of the law in Christ Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection. This is the foundation of our new agreement with God, with our treaty with him. That if we'll trust in his son, Jesus Christ, that we will by faith follow after him. That we have an agreement. We have, if you will, a covenant, a treaty. And since I've already mentioned Hebrews, let's go to Hebrews and see a little bit of the correlation. Hebrews chapter 12, if you'll turn there very quickly. Now I want to remind you that if you're here calling yourself a Christian, that this is your covenant. And we tend to believe and we have tend to adopted all that we have heard in the world and all we know seemingly from the way we live our lives in reference to the covenant that we have with God is that God is love. And we have lost track of Hebrews chapter 12 and passages similarly that call us to uh, understand that that's not all God is. And yes, we are the recipients of the love of God and we have this wonderful covenant, but it has some demands. So we're going to pick up in verse 18 of chapter 12 of Hebrews. If you'll follow along with me as I read, it says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that their words should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure what was commanded, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. That was that covenant that was placed upon Israel, that Jeremiah calls them, remember the covenant? Well, now the author of the book of Hebrews wants us to know about our covenant. But, in verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is your covenant, brethren. It is a better one. It is a more frightening one for it is founded upon not the workings of men or the keeping of a law or the sacrifice of animals but on the work of God on our behalf he has come to die for us it is innumerable angels that declared his coming and and will declare his second coming it is in the in the heavenly realms that this was done not on a mountain on earth but in the places of heaven that our covenant was established there The blood wasn't sprinkled on an altar that men fashioned with their hands out of gold and wood, but rather was sprinkled on the altar of God in the heaven of heavens. This is our covenant. Where Christ arrived as the lion of the tribe of Judah and they saw the lamb that had been slain. And it was there in heaven where our salvation was established, where our covenant was. And the blood that seals that covenant was sprinkled. And so, oh yes, we have a covenant. 
And so verse 25 tells you, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. And that is the condition Jeremiah was confronting among his people. They refused to listen to God's voice. And correlating right along with Jeremiah, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he is promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates that the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And this, brethren, is our call to remember the covenant. Bring it to mind. Bring it to bear upon your heart that have we broken off our end of the covenant. And this is the warning we have really throughout Hebrews and a number of other passages. Hebrews isn't the isolated place. Um, we, are, we are called to fulfill our part of this deal that we have struck with God, not because we came up with it, because God did. And it is not a deal that was struck here on earth. It wasn't on Calvary that that bloodshed was of value. That's why we don't go and worship that spot. And I think it's interesting that no one really knows where it is. We have ideas. And in fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, there are two places you could go if you want to go worship the spot where Jesus died. Figure that one out. There are two places you can go. Because no one really... Even in this day and age, we're still a little confused about it. You can go to the, to the garden tomb area and they'll show you a place that looks like a skull and you could go <laughs> into, into Jerusalem proper and there's a whole shrine and church built around it. And people are weeping and wailing and worshiping that spot they think Jesus shed his blood. Doesn't matter. Irrelevant that his blood was spread on earth. What is relevant is that it was sprinkled in heaven. And that is the place of our covenant that means something. It means that it is eternal. Um, it can't be shaken. There's nothing on earth that's going to disrupt that. It is an eternal covenant established in not your work or my work, but the work of Jesus Christ. So what is our part now? If it's all Christ's work and it's already been established in heaven and cannot be shaken, what is our part? What is this warning that we have Why the warning? Because our part is that because if we are truly the recipients of the grace of God, that is of having this relationship that we don't deserve and have never earned and cannot earn, then there's some reciprocation expected by God. And interestingly, even this reciprocation is not to really seal us, it is really to demonstrate this one element that our faith is firmly placed in him and that it is not placed or displaced anywhere else in our lives. That we are trusting in him. And how do we evidence that we are trusting in him? 
And it says that you will serve God acceptably. I love that word. You know what that means? Not according to your evil heart. Acceptably means the way God wants it done. Not the way you and I think it should be done. Not the way the marketers think it should be done. Not certainly the way the world thinks it should be done. But how does God want it done? Are we serving God acceptably? And remember, the Hebrew people thought they were serving God, but they were serving Him their way. Because they had cut themselves off from the truth. They had displaced God in their hearts with idols and in their lives with idols, with the, the, the ways of the Gentiles. And they had come in and broken their promises. They had broken their covenant. And so we are called to serve God acceptably. Not the way you think it should be done. Not the way some group of clergy think it should be done, not the way some church tradition thinks it should be done. We serve God the way God says it should be done. Which requires us to know something, doesn't it? How does God want it done? (laughs) Well, I think he's shared it with us in his word. And again, we go back to that first strand that's broken. If we don't know his word, if we don't know the truth, then we're in danger. Are we doing it right or are we not doing it right? Are we serving God acceptably or are we serving God unacceptably? And Yes, you can do that. Claim to serve God, but because of the manner in which you do that, of the spirit in which you do that, and the, the mechanisms in which you do that, you can do it in an unacceptable manner, and God is not pleased but displeased by it because you're breaking the covenant. The covenant is, God, you are now my Lord and Savior, You set the terms. You tell me. You're my Lord. You're the master. I'm the servant. You're the savior. I'm the saved. And I will not displace you and your place in this agreement. We serve God acceptably with, and now we have a little help in our spirit with reverence and godly fear. Other places we are told that don't let very many people be teachers among you. Why? Because you're going to have to answer for every word you're teaching. There's a certain level of reverence and fear there, I would hope, if we took that to heart. And recognizes that standing up and proclaiming a message is not just offhand. It's not offhand intellectually in terms of the word spoken it's not offhand in terms of the heart from which it comes if we come before god and we're going to serve him in an arrogant manner in an in a manner that says oh i'm god's gift um, to all of you um, boy we're in trouble if we come to it with an expectation that we're going to get some earthly reward for it um, that's unacceptable I see a lot of people moping around who stopped serving the Lord because they didn't get any accolades for it. Well, you're not serving the Lord out of reverence of Him. You're revering yourself. You're not having godly fear at all. Because the question that should penetrate our minds on a continuous basis as we serve the Lord, whether it's cleaning the building, whether it's watching a 
the children in the nursery, whether it's teaching, whatever role it is, whether it's handling the games during Word of Life clubs, um, if we are not serving it in a manner that says, is this pleasing to God? A spirit of godliness needs to be about it all. Then we are doing it in an acceptable way. It's not pleasing to God, it's displeasing to Him. So we bring ourselves fully to the task, recognizing that I need to do it right. I need to do it out of a right spirit. I need to have this in my own life. I cannot be hypocritical in this. I must minister sincerely. And this is what Paul describes in Philippians 4 and 3, or really Philippians 3, where he talks about, I've got to keep working. I can't just say, I've arrived. I've got to press on. I have to strive. I have to make sure I don't disqualify myself. Because I want to make sure I serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear, and not start inserting Paul into everything and thinking, well, I'm Paul. How can you question me? We don't have that privilege. But that's exactly what the priests and the prophets of Israel were doing, of Judah. They were inserting themselves and displacing God and saying their own words and thinking that they were equal to this. Well, they weren't. They were teaching lies. And we're going to see a great judgment upon them in Jeremiah. Turn with me quickly, though, to Philippians chapter 3. I want to take this from another tact as well. Philippians chapter 3. Three, I've already mentioned from Paul. But I wanted you to jump down to verse 17 and following, really focusing in on 2021. It says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He's not talking about people outside the church, he's talking about enemies within the church who are enemies of the cross of Christ because they have broken the covenant. They have not exercised genuine faith, enduring faith in Christ Jesus. They have inserted themselves and displaced the truth of God with their own lies for their own interests. It says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. They have brought the wondrous covenant of heaven and muddied it by dragging it through the nastiness of this earth. And they have forgotten that our citizenship is in here. Read verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my brethren, long for brethren, beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Hold the fort, he's coming. How do we hold the fort? And we might think, well, holding the fort is engaging the enemy without. But no, holding the fort is about engaging the enemy within the church walls. Holding the fort for Israel was cleaning 
the house inside the temple walls where it was the priests and it was the prophets and it was the kings and it was the princes and it was all of the people in their homes. That's where you need to hold the fort. Don't worry about Babylon. You don't need to worry about Assyria. You don't need to worry about Egypt. God will take care of those if, if you hold to the covenant. He's already proven it. Don't you remember those Assyrians around surrounding Jerusalem? Boom, they're gone. It's not the Assyrians you need to worry about. It's what's going on in the hearts of those people in Jerusalem. What's going on inside that fort? And hence the song, hold the fort. It's for you to hold it. And we hold it by surrendering our, submitting ourselves and recognizing, I'm a citizen not of this world. I'm a citizen of heaven. That's where my covenant is. It's not at Golgotha. That is not where my covenant is. My covenant is at the temple in heaven. That altar is where the sprinkling of the blood mattered. And that is where my citizenship lies. That is where I've been born. I've been born from above. And now I need to function as a citizen of that place. And so to stand fast in the Lord is to recognize that I am not home. Nor should I be interested in making this place my home. Nor displacing the priority of God in my life with anything else of my own priorities. Keep your covenant. Maintain your citizenship. For it is a fearful thing to be a traitor to heaven. And that's what it means. That's what he's talking about here. There are those who become enemies of the cross of Christ, even while they use the terminology of Christ. They become enemies. Because their interests are of this world. And they have betrayed their citizenship. And so we have this calling. Remember, we have a covenant. (laughs) Remember, you are a citizen of another place. Please remember that. And if that is the case, and we have given our life to Christ, and by faith we call ourselves by his name, now understand the expectations of this agreement is that you're going to live as citizens of heaven. And there's no mistaking that these verses all call you to stand in holiness and in truth. It is no mistake that Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 is followed very quickly by chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. The God of peace will be with you. We want our minds and hearts guarded, and that's up in the early verses. And it says, why are you anxious about the things of this earth? It is God that will guard your heart, but you need to submit your heart to him to guard. How do we do that? Well, one of the means is I don't follow the dictates of my own heart. I recognize I need God to direct my path. And so what do I need to meditate on? Well, I don't need to meditate on the stuff that is flowing through media 
from the world to meet my mind. That is not what I need to direct my path. I do not need the empty wisdom of this world to meditate upon, to consider my ways. Rather, I need those things that are true. Do you notice the first thing in verse 8 is the truth? (laughs) Oh, you need the truth. There is danger. There is loss. If we break our covenant with God, which is simply, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, I am a follower of His. I am his follower. When you stop becoming his follower and you follow after another person, your own interests, stuff, recognize that you are endangering yourself or you are breaking a covenant. You are breaking an agreement. And God doesn't think very highly of that, does he? It's no problem understanding God holds us to our word and all of those agreements uh, perhaps none more uh, sanctified than our marital agreements to one another that God says I hate divorce why because it's you're breaking a covenant we become covenant breakers by pattern and God says I want you to to keep to every covenant that's why he says don't just flippantly promise stuff. Don't vow vows here and vow vow there because I'm holding you to all those, even ridiculous vows. Do you remember some of the vows that God held people to? God held Jonathan to his father's foolish vow. People ask you, why did Jonathan have to die? Because he broke his dad's vow that no one was to eat until victory was assured. And Jonathan broke the vow. Saul was ready to kill him. The people interceded and said, no, you're not going to kill him. He gave us the victory. But he still broke the vow. So why did he die in the mountain with his dad? Because Those vows are important to God, even the foolish ones, so be careful. And if he, God holds you to the foolish vows, certainly he's going to, and he holds you to your marital ones, certainly, certainly he holds you to this Relationship that you said, Jesus, you are my Lord. You declare that. You believe in your heart. You declare with your mouth. God says, okay, I am your Lord. Let's prove it. Obey me. Serve me. Acceptably. My way. And his way, by the way, is not evil and, and it is very benevolent. It is loving. It is, it is to our favor. It is always uh, going to promote blessing in our life. We're not serving a, an ogre here that wants to destroy us. He, we are serving a God that loved us, died for us, and has come and, and, and lowered himself that, that he might serve us with the truth. And now we are in this covenant and we break it? And we think nothing of it. We think there's not going to be any cost. Oh, I pray the sinner's prayer. I had my baptism back there, so I know I'm going to heaven. I'm just living for me right now. Really? You think God's going to be okay with that? You living for you. I want to remind you, 
you have a better covenant with blood of the Lamb of God spread on the temple of heaven. These things cannot be shaken. Don't think you're going to go away with breaking that covenant without some ramifications here and possibly into eternity. Very probably. I think that is the basis of many coming to God and saying, Lord, Lord, I'm one of your people. And he'll say, I don't know you. You broke the covenant. You broke your vow. You broke our relationship. You broke our agreement. I don't know who you are. Now, come back to Jeremiah. Since you've been reminded of your covenant, and they've been reminded of their covenant, let's consider a little bit some frightening texts. Again, verse 8, we have this theme. I'm not going to focus in on a lot. Um, they did not obey or incline their ear. Everyone followed dictates of his evil heart. You're going to keep having that. Um, and so God's going to implement the, the curses of the covenant upon them. Um, again, verse 9, very strong language. A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Interesting terminology that they have schemed this thing. They have rationalized this thing. And the scheming isn't just out there among the people. The scheming is among those who should know the truth. The prophets and priests. And by the way, just so you know, because most of us are pretty ignorant of things and we don't remember very well, um, at the end of this chapter, there is a whole community of people that are going to be cursed into oblivion. There'll be the people, uh, let, let's jump down there, to the people of uh, Anathoth. Now, you might not remember Anathoth, but if you go back to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1, what you're going to find is that these are Jeremiah's hometown. This is where his priests and family live. This is his father, his brothers. This is his uncles. And these are the people of Anathoth that are wanting to kill him. They've schemed against him. They've conspired against him. They want to shut this boy up. He's a hometown boy. And God says, because of that, I'm going to completely annihilate them. They're not going to captivity. They're going to be destroyed. This is the priestly group. And so this, this scheming against God to break the covenant, to lead Jerusalem into that, he, God recognized, he knows that Oh, you're going to rationalize your breaking of my covenant? That scheming, that conspiratory thinking, I'll see right through it. You're not going to hide anything from me. You're not going to avoid the judgment by trying to work the edges of the wisdom of God. (laughs) It's foolishness. So God will bring calamity, he says in verse 11, it's assured, so assured, By verse 14, we are told, don't pray for this people. Don't even pray for them. This is despair. This is hopelessness. Don't cry out for them. I will not hear them. I'm not going to hear you. Um, That's pretty harsh. 
You mean those people are going to come before Jesus and, and, and listen to their words, Lord, Lord. And God's not going to listen to that? No. Because they have gone to such a point, breaking the covenant completely and entirely, that there is nothing but violation there and all that is left for them. They cannot cry out, Lord, Lord. They're in trouble and they know it. Why? Because they're at the wrong judgment seat. (laughs) They're at the wrong place. They're not at the Bema seat. They're at the great white throne. Lord, Lord! You say, oh, where's his empathy? It was there on the cross. It was there when he established and gave them access to know him. Where they could have lived by faith and actually lived as though he really is the Lord instead of pretending and scheming and thinking, well, I can do this little spiritual stuff and then live for myself all the rest of my days and it'll fool God. What kind of an idiot do you really think God is? There's no conspiracy like that, no scheming like that that'll ever work. He knows your heart. And so, yeah, you come up and say, and by the way, that is a cry, a prayer of trouble. Lord, Lord! And what do they do? Look at what we did in your name. You didn't do that for me. And you didn't do that with my power. You didn't do that. You did that for yourselves. And here comes the premise, the basis, the the capstone, maybe, of why the response is so callous for Christ to say, get away. I don't know who you are. What a callous response. Why? Well, let's read verse 15 and 16. What is my beloved to do in my house? Notice, he loved Israel. He loved the world, came and died for her. Everyone in her. He loved you. He made a provision. He opened up an opportunity for you to be in his family. And now, why are you in my house? Notice what, do you really believe God is going to have room? Having done lewd deeds with many, and the holy flesh is passed from you. When you do evil, then you rejoice. This is what has characterized your life. This is what you have done. And the whole idea here is that you have been immoral. You have, you have uh, um, this, the idea of doing lewd deeds with many. You've just gone off and slept with whoever you want to sleep with. That holy flesh that has passed from you, that, that, that is only shared between a man and wife, that, that which only should belong to him. You have strewn out there for everyone. And then as you're doing this evil, you're not sorry at all. You're rejoicing in it because you're calling good evil and evil good. And you think you have a place in the kingdom of God. Really? We, we think we have tricked God because we go on Sunday or because I stand up at a, at a thing and say, I'm a Christian and no one can say otherwise. Well, yes, we can say otherwise. If there is no evidence of Christianity in your life, I can say otherwise. And I must. Because to say you're a Christian 
is pretty meaningless at this point in history, anyway. Even to say I'm a follower of Christ, even to say he is Lord. Well, where is the proof? When we see Ludax, we see you bending the knee to all these others, and you rejoice to do evil. Jesus planted a lovely tree, had good fruit. Called us out by name. But he is prepared to set it on fire. He's prepared to burn it down. So you can start over with the roots. He's broken the branches. He's kindled the fire on it. And the one who planted the tree is ready to destroy that tree. This is what it means when we go in and break the covenant that we have with God, scheming all along that somehow we will make sure this base is covered by meeting the minimum demands of what men say is being a Christian and live the balance of our days for ourselves and others and follow after the things of this world instead of the one who is in heaven, whose citizenship we even maybe stake claim to. And God says, I'm not fooled by that scheme. That conspiracy doesn't fool me. Judgment is coming, sure. Surely. So we are called to remember that our God is a consuming fire. Remember that back in Hebrews? And here it is in Jeremiah. God's going to burn it down. There's no use for it. He will not play that game with you. Either you have him as your Lord, not just call him Lord, or you are lost without hope in facing a sureness of his judgment. Your pursuits of your life must be driven by your interests in a citizenship in heaven. But we find that most of the pursuits of our life are driven by the junk of this world. And it really is a junk. Not just because it was made in China, but because it cannot last. It will not endure. It will not ever satisfy. And it will never bless you. It will only bring misery. And so, Jeremiah confronts his people and their response is, shut up or we'll kill you. I'm just seeing if any of you have that ideas. (laughs) This is how a people move from being in the family blessed by God to being a tree he once cut down and burned up. How do you go from being servants of the one true living God 
to worshiping the Queen of Heaven in your home. Stop listening to the truth. Give value to things that are of no value. And call them God. Think that your own ways are good enough. And then try to scheme your way out of the covenant established by Christ in heaven forever. You break that covenant. You worship your own hands and what they can make or your own mind and what it can devise. And you distance yourself from the truth of God's word. You will be fully vested in the queen of heaven as your true worship. Being willing to sacrifice your children if necessary to bring yourself pleasure and secure your comforts for yourself. Calling for Jeremiah is the calling of God and that is obey. Repent and obey. The covenant is there and we see it in Hebrews, right? The whole purpose of the book of Hebrews is come back. There's nothing better. And remember, your God is a consuming fire. Yes, he loves you. But in that day, there will be no prayers for you. This is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. We pray again that you might find us willing to receive it, even though it may destroy our ideas of who you are and the premise of our relationship with you. Lord, maybe especially if it does that, Lord, we pray you might work in our hearts. We might consider our ways, examine ourselves that we might not be among this number, but that we might truly have you as Lord. You might be that which we thirst and hunger after every day, that which we pursue all of our hearts, all of our mind. We might meditate upon you and all that you have given to us, that your truth might resound in our minds, on our lips, and in our lives. Lord God, may we be your children, obeying your voice to your glory. And Lord, keep our hearts on that kingdom that can never be shaken. And finally, Lord, we pray that you might come quickly. We'll hold the fort. purifying its occupants that we might be counted of your number at your coming. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.